One. Okay, listeners, welcome back. We're on episode 87 of the Adrian Bow podcast, brought to you by adrianbow.com for all your coaching and training needs. And today, I couldn't be more delighted to uh, welcome Mr. Tim McGibbon, um, CEO of the Real Estate Institute. Tim, how are you, sir? Good, Adrian, and yourself? Are you, what, are, what did you say, 80, 87 of these? Yeah, and don't tell me what everyone else does, which is like, it took you 87 episodes to get, to get me on. Is that what, is that what the facetious no, comment no, you, no, you were going to make? No, uh, no, I'd be well down the food chain, but I'm, uh, I was very <laughs> impressed to think you've done uh, 87 of them. That's, uh, that's quite, a, uh, quite a challenge. Maybe when you do your 100th, we can have a party. There you go. There you go. Well, the initiative first started when I was at McGrath and I used to interview the high performing agents at McGrath. But since then, um, I've been uh, uh, fortunate enough to be able to interview everyone in the industry and uh, it's been fantastic. So, um, but, but even John McGrath, when I interviewed him a few weeks back, he was like, Bowie, it took you 75 episodes, did it, to get onto me? <laughs> so him and, I, him and I are obviously very, extremely close, but uh, it's a facetious comment, which, which is uh, often made. But I'm glad you didn't go there. Thanks, Tim. Um, so what I would like to do is break this podcast up into three sections, if it's okay. A little bit about your past, a little bit about what's happening in the present, a little bit about the future. Um, so firstly, uh, if you don't mind me asking, because a lot of people are very interested, Tim, is um, wh- where did you grow up and, and what did you originally study? Sort of. Um, in yeah. The- uh, so I've had probably one of the most bizarre careers um, that you'd ever hear. I, uh, I grew up in Broken Hill. Uh, I left school when I was 15 and I went to work uh, on the mines uh, as an apprentice electrician. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of got through that. Um, then um, sort of did a, did a little bit of touring around for a while, about 12 months. Um, and then was in my trade for a while. Um, but then I decided I'd go back to school and I'd do accounting. So I did. Um, and then um, I was on a bit of a roll there. So I went back and did uh, my tax agent's license and started to get involved in public accounting. Um, and um, then, bizarrely, I went uh, back to school again and did law. Um, so, um, and then ended up as a solicitor. Um, and um, <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, I, I didn't finish this. I moved, uh, moved on, but I uh, also did a master's in tax law. Um, but I got about halfway through that and then uh, uh, some other priorities came into my life. But um, as you can see, it's probably why I don't get invited to a lot of parties. So. <laughs> but when I was, uh, when I was in, um, uh, in law, I, I, my area was commercial and, uh, and property law. So, um, and I currently, uh, I currently sit on the, the property law committee of the law society as well. And, uh, uh, on the drafting committee for the standard contract for sale of land. Interesting. Mm. So when people see that contract, it, I guess it's partly my fault. <laughs> and the, the most recent iteration of that's 2018, is that correct? Or 2020? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. terrible. I don't know, but I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Something, something like, like that? No, no. I think it, I think it might be one a bit later. Yeah. Anyway, that's fine. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm to uh, I'm to blame for that in part. <laughs> no problem. And um, so, did you ever work in the real estate industry as an agent or property manager? No, or anything? no, no, no. I've um, I've never been. Uh, I've never worked worked as an agent. I don't hold that qualification, despite despite being surrounded by it on a daily basis in here with my training department. But I, <laughs> I've never managed to uh, find the time to go and do it. I, I have to say, and I know I'm, um, it would sound like I'm uh, um, sucking up to your audience, but if I had my time again, I, uh, I think I would have gotten into real estate. I just, um, I like the, uh, I like the vibe of it. I like, um, I like the people in it. There's some really good characters. I hang around with uh, real estate agents and not lawyers, so I'll, uh, I'll let you draw whatever conclusions you want from that. And for the geographically inept amongst us, Broken Hill, where's that? Broken, yeah, Broken Hill. You 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 head west, um, and uh, when you hit the South Australian border, come back fifty kilometres, and there's Broken Hill. 
there you go. So really your first job was as an electrician, you're saying, and then, then into the accounting law space. Yeah, I, I did accounting and, and went into private practice as a, uh, as a tax agent. Uh, so I did, you know, public accounting um, and then obviously tax. And then I had, a, uh, I had an interest in that. And, and uh, when I was doing my accounting course, the, uh, the people who were teaching me said, look, I think you've got uh, an aptitude to law because you had to do certain law subjects in, uh, in accounting. Um, and they said, I, I you know, recommend you give it some thought. So um, away I went and did that. Interesting. So the obvious question, Tim, is what brought you to take the job as CEO of the REI and what made you decide to, to actually take it? And, and obviously yeah, the, the opportunity I was, um, itself. I was, so I was in private practice for a while um, and uh, I, you know, serving a timesheet uh, sort of on a daily basis wasn't... Um, um, you know, I think I'd done that long enough. So you, you're supposed to hit your timesheet every six minutes as a lawyer. Um, and it was starting to become, you know, quite repetitious, you know, in the, in the property law area. So when, you, when you're in the country areas, you, you kind of do a bit of everything. Mm. Um, but in the city areas, you tend to, uh, you know, specialise in, in one area. So it was a case of conveyancing files and leasing files and just uh, over and over. So when I saw the opportunity to join the Institute in-house, um, I thought, well, it's, um, it, you know, it's a good job to, uh, to be able to secure. So, uh, and I was fortunate enough to do that back in 2004. Um, but I was, uh, I was their lawyer here for about two years and then um, uh, ultimately ended up in the CEO role. But there's, there's no degree of CEO. You can't go and do a, uh, a CEO bachelor. So mm. uh, once you get the gig, you, you're kind of teaching yourself. But I have to say it's been a, a fantastic journey. I've, uh, I've loved every bit of it. Good um, for you. Yeah, and- I mean, it's uh, John McGrath, since you mentioned him earlier, he, I remember him saying once that he, uh, he skips to work every day because he, he, uh, he just loves it, what he does. And I think I'm in the same boat. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I worked alongside him for a long time and it's, it, it's, it is very true. Um, so total time with the REI and total period as CEO, Tim? Yeah, so I uh, started, uh, like I said, I started in the October 2004 mm. um, and then uh, two years later, roughly, uh, became CEO and uh, been in that role since, well, let's say, uh, mid-2006 through to now. Interesting. Okay. So that's, that's um, great to hear about that, that previous journey of yours and interesting, interesting that, that you come in objectively into the industry with a fresh set of eyes, not, not being a a previous agent, despite your, uh, you know, your wishes that you would have liked to have been an agent at some point, but um, not surprising that you're coming in with a fresh set of skill set and, and, and an objective opinion. So in terms of the present, um, I suppose I'll cut straight to the chase and say, what's the biggest issue that you're currently dealing with? as we speak? it's a great question. And when you say currently dealing with it, I think I've been dealing with it um, since 2004. Mm. Um, when I joined the institute, mm. uh, we our our regulatory authority is um, is New South Wales Fair Trading. Now, Fair Trading has forty plus industries mm. that uh, that they regulate, um, including us. Now, there's there's two industries in there that are standout um, industries that should not be with Fair Trading. One of them is the conveyances because they they are um, performing legal services. Whichever way you want to look at it, they, they should be with the lawyers. They should be with the Attorney General. Mm. Um, but fair trading fights tooth and nail to hang on to them. And the other one is us. Um, and, and despite efforts to get out from fair trading over the years, um, we've been unsuccessful. And the reason that we're unsuccessful, in my, in my view, is because we are the sexiest industry um, in town. You know, like you, you can't take a ride in a cab. You can't have people around for, uh, for a dinner party without talking about property. And, you, you know, you, you can't turn the television on without, um, without seeing, you know, property. Um, so everybody loves it. And, um, and I think fair trading love it because they want to be close to it. Unfortunately, they don't know what they're doing. Now, I've been dealing with the symptoms of 
fair trading's inability to um, support the industry and um, work with this cooperatively, constructively um, for, I don't know, what is it, 18 years or something like that. Mm. So um, I'm, you know, I'm exhausted with it, mate, to be honest with you. So the only way that we can solve the problem is rather than dealing symptomatically every time they come up with a, a rather crazy idea, we should deal with the problem itself and we get out of, uh, of fair trading. Now, some of the, some of the people uh, listening today with the same colour hair as me would remember the old um, uh, legal, sorry, the Property Services Council. So that was, uh, that was an act back in 1990. Now, that was scrapped in, I think, about 2002 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, uh, this is very much a back to the future moment. And what I'm, tr what I'm trying to do on behalf of the industry is to get a dedicated property services commissioner. Um, and that, that would be a person that comes from industry, a person that has industry experience. And this person would have an exclusive focus on the property services industry. Um, and, you know, is, is that, a, uh, is, that a, is that necessary? Well, look, I think so. I mean, um, I'm sure you had the same attitude. All of my clients were equal, but some were more equal than others when I was in private practice. And the ones that were more equal than the others were the ones that paid me more. Now, the property industry pays government over $10 billion a year. So to suggest that, um, that they don't need um, a focus, in my, in my view, is ludicrous. Um, we have a building services commissioner. Um, and the reason we have that is because of the Opal Towers and these sorts of things. That was taken out of fair trading um, because they didn't have the building skills. Uh, and for your entertainment, we also have a 24-hour economy commissioner, which I only found out about the other day. So if you're worried about being able to go somewhere at three o'clock in the morning get a, getting a drink, there is a commissioner fighting for you on that one. Um, fair trading has... Um, as I said earlier, 40 different industries, second-hand dealers, hairdressers, uh, tattoos, tattoo parlours and, and, uh, and these sorts of things. Now, those industries which are obviously very valuable to the, to the broad spectrum of our economy, they are uh, what I would describe as high-volume, low-dollar value, minimal legal complexity um, industries. Now, that's where fair trading um, belong with uh, if your toaster or kettle doesn't work, you know, fair trading is uh, is where you go. Um, but property transactions are low volume, um, high dollar value, and by their very nature, uh, legally complex. So you don't want somebody in there uh, in our industry that um, is a uh, has no experience. We have uh, people that move from. Fair work, for example, we've had um, some of the people from Fair Trading, they've moved from Fair Work across to, um, uh, to our industry and their only qualification really is they might have bought a house at some mm. stage. Mm. Um, so, you know, we really do need a focus. So this is a, a back to the future moment. What, I, um, what we have now is a property services um, council bill and it is in the... Uh, lower house. Now, it has already gotten through the upper house. Now, I think this is very, very important. We've got it halfway on the journey. Now, it's going into the lower house and the government has said that they are going to block it. And I've said, uh, why? And I can't get an answer for that. They've just said, we're going to block it, mm. um, which, which is uh, very, very bizarre to me. Mm. But... Um, what I, what I would really like is for your listeners to, uh, to send to their local state politician a copy of the bill. And I, I can, maybe I can give that to you, Adrian. Sure. And I'll, I'll include it on, I can include it on the, uh, on the link. Yep. And um, if they then forward that on to their local, um, their local poly, be it, be it um, with the government or uh, an independent or Labor or anybody, uh, forward it on to that person and say to them, um, I expect you to support this bill. Um, it's as easy as that. Um, but the more voices um, that are calling for it, the better chance we have. Um, 
the the bill is um, uh, scheduled to go into Parliament next month for for debate. Uh, government is hanging on to power by their fingernails, as you know. Mm. So um, I, I I'm hoping that we don't need a lot of pressure on them to um, to be able to get this thing over the line. Now um, our whole world changes, to be honest with you here, to be totally blunt. Because we get away from having somebody that doesn't know the industry to having somebody that will work with us constructively and cooperatively um, for the industry, for the benefit of the industry, and most importantly, for the benefit of the consumer. Mm-hmm. It makes complete sense. I mean, I watched the, an interview with the with the uh, commissioner for building, which they've recently put on, and I thought he was he was in a very a very astute gentleman who knew exactly what he was talking about in that specific space. And it's probably seems bizarre for that industry that it took so long, but but thank God that they've 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 actually done it. Um, so we're really just asking for the same thing that's only occurred probably in the last twelve months in the building industry. Exactly right. It's exactly right. So um, as I keep saying to people, this is not a legislative uh, walk into the wilderness. We've Mm. already been there before. Mm. um, And this experiment with having a a regulator that um, is uh, all all things to all industries has clearly failed. Mm. Um, So, um, yeah. So, so look, it it is a back to the future moment. Um, The model we're talking about is already active in Australia. Uh, and for that matter, in New Zealand, uh, probably has the best structure of the lot. Um, and so, you know, it, it makes perfect sense to do this and to have a focus on our industry. So it seems bizarre that um, previously we had what enjoyed the same acronym, which was the building, ser- sorry, the property services council. Now we're asking for a property services commissioner. Why was that scrapped in the first place? I mean, Uh, look, I think I'm guessing, I don't know, but I think the reason it went down that pathway is because of economies. So you put it all under one roof and um, then you've got one commissioner that does everything with the sub departments and all of this. And um, that looks great on a whiteboard because you're saving all this money. Mm. Um, But you know, it, it simply hasn't worked. It mm. really hasn't. It, it used to be the case, um, you know, back in the 90s when you wanted to become an agent, it, um, it took something like three years at TAFE. Yeah, now, I, did, I did it. Yeah, there <laughs> so, you go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but these days, well, up until recently, you could mm. become an agent in, uh, in less than a week. In mm. fact, the world record is two and a half hours, but that's a rule <laughs> in itself. Um, and um, so, you know, it's ridiculous, but but people say, no, no, that's great because uh, it's you know, we've taken away the barriers to entry and we're pushing people out into the jobs and that all looks good as well. Unfortunately, over 80% of the people who enter the industry leave in the first 12 months. So all yep. we're doing is under underskilling these people and putting them out in the market and they don't they don't know what they're doing. They, they quickly realise that being an agent is a lot more complicated than... Uh, than people thought, and they feel very much out of their depth, and off they go. We we have some uh, dreadful stories on our helpline, um, uh, people being sent off to NCAT, mm. and, um, you know, we, we have uh, people ringing us and uh, in tears because they, boys and girls for that matter, um, because they, they're about to go down to NCAT, and they, and they know they're going to be slaughtered down there because that's what happened to them last time. Mm. And, uh, they don't know what they're doing, so it doesn't. It doesn't take long for people to say, oh, "This is, um, you know, this is not for me. I don't need this." So, so with the forty industries in total um, under the purview of the OFT, um, which which sounds like there's absolutely no synergy between those industries whatsoever. What you're telling me is, is someone could call the Office of Fair Trading about an infection they just got through a tattoo, and the same person who takes that call could then take a call from a, from a buyer who might be uh, complaining about underquoting. Is that, is that what you're telling me? Yeah, well, um, if Fair Trading were answering that question, they'd say, no, 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 we have separate departments for that. Um, however, the people who work in those departments just shuffle around. So um, the answer to your question is yes. They, those people, um, those, those people would, would on the helpline that they have 
just don't know what they're doing either. They don't have any specific experience in it. I know that um, standing joke, they say, uh, ring fair trading and ask them uh, what it is that uh, you, some query you may have. And if you don't like the answer, we'll ring back. You'll get a different answer. Um, so just keep ringing till you get the answer you want. Wow, wow. So, so obviously yourself, um, Tim, and, and the Real Estate Institute in general provides so much direction to, to, to the industry, but, but it's just not getting recognised. I mean, w- w- what can we all do apart from sending the bill to our local, um, um, obviously, politician or whatever? What, what else can we do? Well, it's a, as you know, with, uh, with politics, I think not always, but on a, on a lot of occasions, our, um, our political leaders um, tend to lead from the rear rather than the front. So if there's enough people yelling and screaming, this is what we want, um, you may find that um, our political leaders will uh, will get on the uh, get on the bandwagon and want to be a part of it. And really, it's making as much noise as we can. Mm. Um, uh, if you if you can write to the, well, as I said, send the uh, send the, the bill that you, you're very kindly going to send out uh, off to your off to the state poly, um, and ask as many of your friends, family, enemies. It doesn't really matter. Get everybody to um, to send it on to their to the same individual or other individuals, um, and just keep. We got to just keep saying we want this. We want this. Okay. And I remember studying a bit of law in my master's degree, and you mentioned that it's already been approved in in the in the upper house, but not the lower house. Isn't that the the other way around? Shouldn't it be through the lower house first, then it goes to the upper house, and then gets the royal consent? Is that normally what happens? Yeah. So uh, this is a private members bill mm-hmm. that has started in the upper um, and it'll, it then goes to the lower house right. um, as a private members bill. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is successful in manoeuvring its way through the, that process, it'll then go back to the upper house mm-hmm. where it will be debated finally. And if, um, and, and if the upper house is happy with it, it'll go through. And as you say, then off to the, uh, uh, off to the governor. Yeah, for the raw consent. Tell me, um, but you've already been told um, that that it's not going it, to. It'll be just be blocked. Is that is that just a matter of you know, quote unquote, the computer saying no, or is there a is there a, a very strong vitriol against the bill at a political level? Like, what 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 would be a pragmatic, reasonable um, um, answer for 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 that initial resistance? So I'm, I'll never be able to prove this, Adrian, but I read the, the speech uh, delivered by Scott Barlow in the, uh, in the upper house in opposition, his government, uh, a government uh, member. And uh, the speech that he wrote was just patent. Well, sorry, he delivered. I don't think he wrote it. Um, I think Fair Trading wrote it. That's, uh, that's what I said. I'll never be able to prove it, but mm. that's, my, that's my opinion for what it's worth. Mm. Um, and, the, and the speech he delivered was patently wrong. Um, he said that this was uh, going to be self-regulation and it was going to be self-regulation by the REI. Um, and both of those things are wrong, um, just patently wrong. It is, uh, it is a broad industry uh, group that would be on the council and the minister remains 110% in control of everything. Um, so, so the, there is not going to be any self-regulation here. The Property Stock and Business Agents Act does not change at all, save that where it says the uh, Commissioner for Fair Trading, it will then say the Property Services Commissioner. That's mm. it. That's mm. the only change. The other thing is that the Property Services Council will have a direct line to the Minister on advice. Now, what currently happens is we meet with Fair Trading um, we tell Fair Trading that this is yet another disaster that they're about to um, embark on. Mm. And um, then they say, well, that's fascinating. They, they then go to the minister. So all of our input is filtered through Fair Trading, who, again, don't understand our industry. So the government's missing out on uh, direct access to, to the market. Um, and we are missing out on being able to influence um, the, uh, the, the journey of the profession. 
it just seems bizarre because we're certainly not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's certainly not a revolutionary legislation, given that it's occurred in other in other industries. So there's 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 obviously a lot more political, um, you know, maybe even potentially nefarious uh, um, um, objectives at play. Oh, look, I I, I don't think you'll ever know. So there's an old saying, an old lawyer saying about legislation. Um, never ask what goes into legislation or sausages. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you just never know what's going on. But, but if I can, if I can quote Mike Baird, um, just before he left uh, as Premier, he said, when an industry wants to improve itself, why would government get in the way? And um, that is my rhetorical question. Why mm. would government want to get in the way? We, we want to be better. We want to work at being better. We want to give the consumer a better, a better experience. We want hygiene and transparency in the market. Mm. Um, why, why would government get in the way of that? Mm. I suppose it goes back to your comment, uh, Tim, when you mentioned that real estate is a sexy um, industry. I mean, you, you say that facetiously, but what, you, what you're meaning is that everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone wants a piece of it. The media love, you know, uh, devouring themselves in it, in every aspect of it. So that could be part of it, a bit, bit of hubris maybe from, 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 from government or OFT to, to, to remain involved. Is, could that be possible? Oh, absolutely. Um, so they, you know, the, the things that they like doing is turning up to an auction with uh, fair trading jackets on mm. and um, Channel 9 in tow, you know, and um, it's uh, conspicuous policing, I think they like to call it. But uh, that doesn't do anybody any good. If you are regulating an industry at the point of, de- of service delivery, that is paramount to failure. Mm. You, you have failed as a regulator if you need to do that. Mm. Um, the the problem should have been detected well before it gets face to face with the consumer. Mm. Um, yeah, that that reeks of hubris to me. So I suppose getting on to you know a, a topic that's fraught with um, controversy is 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 underquoting, and it's obviously something that you, you you deal with constantly. The current market is obviously not helping fueling that. But what, what's what's your I won't say personal view. I have to ask what, what's your objective view or what's your CEO's view um, in terms of the industry in general and from what you're aware of with the data metrics that, that, you, that you obviously have optics to, is the industry in the main doing the right thing? The, the short answer is yes. In The industry in the main is doing the right thing. Do we have people out there that um, uh, underquote? Yes, we do. Every trade calling or profession, it doesn't matter which one it is, every one of them has people within their ranks that they wish they didn't have and we have ours. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you look at the data, when a market is on a sharp rise like it is now all over the places, I heard this morning on the radio that there was a, um, uh, a property went $1 million over the reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a market like that, it makes it near on impossible, if not impossible, for an agent to accurately price uh, a property. And, you know, it is, it is so difficult. Now, what happens in a market like that is that the allegations, and I underline that word, the allegations of underquoting skyrocket during markets like this and largely disappear in markets um, when it's flat or declining. They, uh, they disappear. Now, uh, do they completely go? No, they don't. And they 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 are the people who um, who who do underquote, and they are the people that we'd like to target and get out of the industry. But the the allegations right now are um, are huge because of the market we're in now. Our minister uh, a couple of weeks ago put out a press release that agents under the hammer, and he said we were he was going to be putting out teams of. Uh, of investigators out there in the, in the market. You hear about words like uh, we're going to have a blitz uh, mm. on agents and all this sort of stuff. You know, that, that, is, that is inflammatory. It is unproductive and denigrates the industry. Mm. So we need, to get, we need to get past that and we need to work with government for the benefit of the consumer. Um, we need that hygiene in the market and hygiene in part comes from uh, the confidence that people have that agents are working hard for them. 
Mm. And uh, I, I, you know, that just irritates the daylights out of me, uh, Adrian, to be mm. frank. You can imagine. So uh, are the OFT, in your opinion, um, Tim, aware of, you know, the, the, the uncompliant, uncompliant underquoting, which is, you know, writing an estimated selling price on an agency agreement, then the agent quoting less than that? And are they aware of you know, the, 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 the healthier type of underquoting or the, the more compliant underquoting, which is you genuinely believe with your client that a price range is applicable in day one, but in day 21 of the campaign, the, the price guide changes, even though an, an offer may not have been made. Um, so does the OFT still see that as underquoting or are they, are they more generous and allow for markets to evolve and change? No, uh, I think, um, I think the, the former, I, I don't think they fully understand how the market can change. Mm. Um, one of the other odd things they've said to me repeatedly is that it is so difficult for them to be able to detect underquoting. And, and I said to them, I, I don't understand that because if you go into an agent's office and you ask to see the agency agreement mm. and it comes out and uh, the agent has written on the agency agreement that uh, the estimated selling price is a million dollars, and then um, they, you go straight out into the market and with the signage and everything like that, and if it's a figure less than that, that's underquoting. Mm. It's as easy as that. But they, they tell me they have enormous difficulty trying to, uh, to find it and prosecute it and, and all the rest of it. But mm. interestingly, interestingly, their last blitz, I think that they, uh, they managed to uh, find... 12 agents or something like that, 12 or 18 agents. I forget what it was now, but it was sub, it was less than 20, but the maximum fine they handed out was $11,000. Most of them were around 2,200 and um, of, of those people who were fined and the balance of people got warnings. So the maximum fine were, could have been 22,000, um, but the maximum was handed out was 11,000. And as I said, they, they cascaded down from there. So, so you know, after their last blitz, the only thing I can say is that, firstly, they didn't detect much of it. And mm. secondly, um, what they did detect didn't seem to attract the big penalty. So, you know, I'll let people draw their own conclusions from that. Mm. What's the REI's position in the second um, example or scenario provided where, you know, you might read in the paper it's sold for a million dollars over reserve, but... The agent was fully compliant, was fully legal. He quoted exactly, he, he or she quoted exactly what the estimated selling price was, but you're still going to generate complaints from buyers because it did sell way in excess of that. Does the REI accept that the market is the market which is out of the agent's control? Absolutely. And that's the argument that we, we constantly put up to, uh, to both fair trading and, um, and the minister's office. We, we say to them, it doesn't matter how many years you've been in, in this industry, in this, a market like this is, is so volatile that you just don't know, um, where, you know, what, what the price is going to be on the day. You, you get all of your comparables. Yes, you do all that. You do all your analysis. Um, and, um, and you arrive at, um, at what you think the estimated selling price, you do all that, but, you know, as, uh, as, as auctioneers uh, have said to me, there's nothing like uh, a good auction to stuff up a valuation. Mm. And, um, and I, think, uh, I think that's the, that's the case here. What about what happened in Queensland with that piece of legislation, which seemed to be extremely archaic and set that state back um, probably two decades, in my opinion, with the auction process being unable to actually talk about any type of price at all. Um, I know when, when John and I were working together, we fought extremely hard against it. Um, I mean, is that inevitable where people just think, you know what, it's too hard auction. I'm just going to private treaty everything. I, I, I work with a top agent um, as, as a coach, um, Alex Jordan, in, you know, and he, he's, he's given up with auctions. He just sticks to private treaty because he, he just doesn't want to go down that path. So is, is that inevitable yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in uh, in Queensland, you're right. You're not allowed. You are not allowed to provide a price, and that's 
that's how they sorted out underquoting up there. Um, so if you don't talk about a price, it's um, there is no uh, no underquoting, and that's um, that is not good consumer no. uh, assistance. It, it's ridiculous. And I think in South Australia, if the property uh, sells for ten percent greater than what you your estimate. In South Australia, they uh, they say that is paramount to underquoting, and then mm. then you're in a, a rebuttable presumption position where you have to start and justify what's going on, and that's another crazy outcome. I my view of underquoting it's it's a convenient political um, soapbox for government to make a lot of noise about and justify their own existence, but mm. I think I think that um, being able to assist a purchaser with their inquiries. Mm. Um, is uh, is extremely important. Mm. Um, I would uh, I would hate to see that um, we we're in a position where we can't do that. Mm. But every time um, uh, underquoting comes up in in legislative intervention, we get these ridiculous outcomes. Now we're not allowed to use the words offers over or offers or above or plus signs and these sorts of things. Mm. Now um, I can't see. How how me saying to um, a purchaser that uh, you um, you know we we are you, you, we are seeing offers over a um, uh, million dollars and uh, you know your your offer would need to be over that sort of price to I mean what what detriment is in is in that I I, I can't identify it. Um, I agree. I mean, I, I was, I was, you know, practicing as, as an agent, still am, during that transition where they, where they, the OFT decided to remove those words, and I just thought that was absolutely bizarre because that just put the industry back another ten years because I thought that was one step closer to, towards transparency. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, the other, the other thing that is uh, that was part of the part of the uh, the new rules was uh, if you talk price, you have to make a file note. Now, yeah. as a lawyer, I love file notes. I recommend to people make file notes constantly. But uh, I said to you, I said to Fair Trading, look, if somebody is somebody simply giving out um, a price, uh, I, I just, I don't understand why, why on those occasions you need to make uh, a file note because agents are in their motor vehicle all the time. That makes it really difficult to be making file notes in uh, in those circumstances, mm. um, mo most times the property is um, the price is indicated anyway. Mm. You know, in uh, and and I appreciate in auction in an auction environment, sometimes the agent won't put a price there because they deem it not to be a uh, not to be good, and and therefore they'll they'll keep uh, the 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 price of the property what their view of the price of the property is confidential, but. Mm. Fair Trading said, look, if you, if you get a phone call in your car, um, a purchaser wants to know, the best thing to do is don't tell them and tell them to go to your website. And we're saying, really? I mean, is that, is that the sort of level of service that um, we, want to, um, we want to be providing uh, the market? I mean, again, that demonstrates that people, our regulatory authority has, has no appreciation of our, um, of our market. Of our industry. That is a completely bizarre response, and mm. I'm sure everyone would agree. What was their response when you questioned, uh, because I assume we did, um, why we should remove above or over in, in the guides? What was their, what was their uh, objective and reason? Well, and again, you know, no, um, no particular answer was ever given to that. And, and, you know, I said at the time, what evil is it that you're trying to, uh, to address? Mm. And... Um, they uh, they were of the view that those words were misleading, um, mm. you know that and that to me is um, I, I well look smarter people than me are out there so maybe they can see that those words are misleading but I have to say I I can't see it. Bizarre, bizarre. So tell me, Tim, let's assume we get the um, property services commissioner in place. Um, what's the ideal demographic of that individual, female, male, or whatever, whoever it might be? What, what's, what's the perfect demographic? Well, I, I think a lot of guidance can be taken from the Building Services Commissioner because that, that individual has something like 40 years experience in, um, in, the, building, mm. uh, in the building industry. Now, again, you, know, uh, you, you, you look at that and you say that makes absolutely perfect sense. 
you want somebody in there that um, that is able to work with the industry from a position of um, knowledge of the industry, mm. um, rather than having you know fair trading in there as they were in that particular area, trying to understand um, the the construction industry. I, look, I'd be I'd be hopeless in that area. Mm. Uh, I just wouldn't understand it, so I wouldn't go near it. Mm. Um, but um, that doesn't stop other people sailing in there. Mm. And um, and pronouncing that they are the regulatory authority, you know, mm. just just another thing that they did, uh, probably about eighteen months ago, was they decided that they would um, de-license auctioneers. Mm. Just we don't need to have a license to be an auctioneer. Mm. And uh, the reason they did that was because of competition. They they think that increasing competition is the panacea of. Uh, of all that troubles a, a consumer. And we said, look, we love competition, but it must be amongst competent uh, service providers. Um, and um, what happened in that environment was that fair trading identified the, th the theater, if you will, of auctioneering. What eluded them was the, the making of a contract for an extremely expensive asset within a complex legal environment that they didn't see. Mm. Um, but as uh, as you know only too well, when you when an auction goes bad and you end up down there in the Supreme Court, there's um, there's not a lot of uh, fun and games down there. Mm. I, th I just think it seems like the obvious next step. I mean, that David Chandler, I saw him being interviewed, the, the building commissioner, and he, he he verbatim said, "I will not stop until." I improve the um, the perception and the quality of of this industry, you know. And that I just saw that as incredible passion and dedication. And why why wouldn't we want to replicate that? What what do you think it will do to to the industry? What 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 are, what are a few changes that could happen automatically by the commission being appointed? Oh, I think I think a review of the legislation. You know, again back to the to the underquoting uh, side of things. Um, but all, when you look at the at the legislation, it is so prescriptive mm. that you spend so much of your time ticking boxes rather than delivering services. And and every time they play with the legislation, it becomes more and more prescriptive. So mm. instead of being able to tailor a um, a unique service, a, a bespoke service for your client, you are forced into having to provide a a service that that meets the um, the regulatory requirements. And, and I think that inhibits a lot of really positive consumer outcomes. Um, so we, we're bogged down in, um, in a lot of, uh, you know, you know in, in a regulatory treacle as we try and wade through it. And, uh, and I think it would be, it would be far better to talk about outcomes rather than processes. Mm, mm, I agree. And and the consumer is likely to be a beneficiary from the appointment of a commissioner as well, right? The buyer and the seller. Oh, look, um, we put the consumer at the uh, at the centre of this, and uh, every everything that we um, that we do, as far as the property services commissioner or any other piece of legislation that we have an involvement, is the consumer. We we put the consumer's uh, glasses on, and that's how we look at it. And and the, uh, the motto that we have uh, at the Institute is what is good for the consumer is good for the agent. Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, you know, we, that's how we look at everything. Now, uh, you said a little while ago about um, David Chandler and uh, he talked about the perception. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what we want to do is to be able to, um, on, on solid ground, improve the perception that the consumer has with the industry. Now, we, we just can't do that um, with fair trading. It's just not going to happen. There, there seems to be a really deep chasm, um, Tim, between you know, the REI, the OFT, the industry, the consumers. It, it, it seems bizarre. Like, is, is there anything else, anything else that the industry can do to, 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 to um, you know, close these, these, these chasms or dichotomies that we're dealing with? Yeah, um, I think I think the only answer is to uh, is to get is to move from fair trading. I mean, the, mm. the, you are one hundred percent right. Our um, our relationship with fair trading is uh, is certainly adversarial, and I can I can say to you, damn near combative. 
Um, but um, they they have no intention of working with us. Um, we we have tried for years to try and uh, and to work with them. Uh, we we're very very jealous of the way that other states work with their regulator. Mm. Um, you know, we've said to them we should be sharing data. We should be looking at um, you know what problems are coming up. Uh, and jointly being able to put in place strategies to address those problems. Now, frankly, what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what, what is wrong with us working with our regulator to, um, to try and improve our industry? But um, there, is, there is absolutely no appetite whatsoever for that. And so what's the current forum of dialogue between the, the Institute and, and the RFT? Is it, a, is it a, a monthly meeting? Is it just arbitrary? You just, do you speak to each other when you need to? Is there any type of frequency of dialogue? So um, if we go back to about 2015, the, and this give you an indication, we, we um, uh, sent our submission into then Minister Dominello and said to... Uh, to him that we wanted out of fair trading. We wanted our own commissioner. So this has been going on forever. Mm. And um, anyway, he called us in and he had fair trading there. And he said, look, I'm not going to do that. But what I will do is set up a, uh, a new focused group. And, you know, it's like a scene out of Yes Minister. Um, so um, he, uh, he set up a creature called the Real Estate Reference Group, which is an informal body that would um, come together and look at various issues and all the rest of it. Now, that, that creature was uh, had a life of five years until until in frustration we said we're out of it. You know we tried within that environment to drive forward um, uh, good regulatory changes, but there was absolutely no enthusiasm around uh, the fair trading table for for us to work with them. Um, and in the end, we said this is silly now. Um, what's happened now is our current minister has come up with uh, a, uh, a, new, a new idea and his new idea is the expert panel, um, which is uh, clearly just like the real estate reference group uh, rebadged. Mm. However, um, on the uh, expert panel, there's, all, there's people from all areas of, uh, of property and not just real property. So we got we have one uh, representative there from the Wool Growers Association. So I have no idea um, what's going to happen around that table when we've got people so uh, representing so broadly. Now, the cynic in me, Adrian, says that these groups are designed to put industry in, have agendas, minutes, um, and go around and around in circles and um, basically keep us quiet. Um, but... You know, we tried, we tried to work with them within the real estate reference group. Um, and uh, the only solution we have is to get out. Mm. So, so there's, as, as we stand today, there's no platform of frequency of communication. Well, there, there is within the, um, uh, the expert panel is what right. they would immediately come back with. But right. um, that's supposed to meet for about two hours every three months. So, um, so wow. that's the, uh, that's the, yeah. That's not a placing a very high degree of importance on, on, on the issue, is it? No, no, no. And, and, and would it be fair to say that, that most of the conversations are quite cantankerous and, and quite, um, argumentative by the sounds of it? Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately it is. Um, but again, not something that we, we desire, you know, we, mm. we do not want to be in conflict with, um, uh, with the regulator, it's, mm. it doesn't serve anyone's interest. And when you have to uh, go to the media and shine a light on, you know, like we did with the de-licensing auctioneers, mm. that ended up being a very public um, discussion. I mean, Ray Hadley got involved, and um, it's an example of where um, we were able to uh, rescue the consumer from uh, from that particular initiative. Um, by by making it so public. Interesting. As we start to wrap up, Tim, and because we really appreciate your uh, your valuable time, um, what about technology? How do you see that playing a role in the future? In in addition to what it already has, obviously. But um, 
you know, obviously you've got a president-elect New South Wales, you know, Pete Matthews, who's, a, who's now, you know, founded a tech business, um, an ex-real estate agent and still playing in that space. So obviously it's something that we, uh, we can't ignore. You're either sort of on the bus or not in terms of technology. How do you see it playing a bigger role in the industry? Yeah, look, I, I, um, I think that real estate is, um, is one of those industries that will survive the threat of technology. Mm. Um, having, having said that, I think um, agents that um, don't use it, in other, word, in other words, I, I think that technology won't, won't replace agents, but agents that don't um, use technology won't survive. Mm. Now, um, the greatest the greatest skill that I think an agent has got is but is the communication conversation. Unfortunately, what I see too much of is uh, the loss of conversation. People struggle to um, communicate with one another without a device, and I, and I think that is a real tragedy. Um, I think I think we should be spending a lot more time with our client and a lot less time um, playing playing with. Um, services so currently an agent spends uh, 89% of their time doing things in a transaction um, and 11% of their time um, actually with their client I, th- I think I think we got to change that dramatically mm. so we uh, we utilize the technology to do those high volume repetitive tasks um, and we do the 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 bit that the computers can't do which is to spend time with our client and understand our client but i also think we have to seize opportunities to bring more services to the uh, to the transaction so i think it is far better to go on the attack than it is to try and defend our patch um one of the um one of the things that we've done in uh, in here is to provide uh, agents with the ability to prepare their own contract sale of land so the reason that we've done that is firstly, you're supposed to have uh, the contract or must have the contract before you start marketing it. So if you can get it yourself, you can, um, you can then start that process immediately. But, you know, it's, it's another thing that you can do for the vendor. You can say, look, I'll get the contract. If you um, have a particular affection for a solicitor or a conveyancer, let me know who it is and I'll send it on. If you don't, um, we work with um, uh, solicitors, conveyances all the time. Um, I, you know, I have a relationship with um, with one that I think um, does the job uh, efficiently and, and will push this process along. Um, I can take care of that for you. So all of a sudden, you've just taken away a problem that I had as a consumer. Mm. Um, I live in a in a world, and you do as well, where um, I you know I outsource a lot of the things that. 30 years ago, um, I might have done myself, but I just, I just outsource it now because I do what I do and, and um, I, let, uh, I let other people you know, take care of the things in my world that need doing. And, and if we can use the technology to do that, to be able to look at um, other, other things, that, other problems that uh, parties are going to have in a transaction, if I come to you and I say, um, I can solve this, 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 and this in the transaction. You know, all of a sudden, I am I am a lot more relevant to the transaction and a lot more relevant to you than I was before I uh, put all that on the table. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I wasn't a technology native in real estate. And what I mean by that is I started in the late 80s, pre-email, pre-internet, uh, actually. Um, so, so you know, all technology's done is reduced our days on market and, and made the whole process more efficient. But a lot of agents entering the space today are technology native, so they just, they do take it for granted a little bit. But, you know, I've sat on boards myself and I know that, that a risk assessment report is, is, is part of the, the, the process. I mean, has, has disintermediation ever arisen as a, as a potential risk for the industry yeah yeah i look i, I think um, i think that's right i do i do think that there is concerns with um with where it's going as far as uh uh trying to replace the agent but i but mm. i still i still remain um very positive about that i mm. I, mm. I don't think there's going we're going to disenfranchise um uh agents out of the process providing providing we do the things 
mm. and uh, that the computers can't do, um, mm. that humanity. And they talk about uh, building trust. So trust, uh, the definition of trust is, uh, is uh, being authentic, you know, be yourself. Uh, have a um, have a logical message that you know that can be uh, consumed, and uh, and the last component is empathy. You know, you empathise with somebody that's in in that position. So empathy empathy is not pity, but uh, empathy is is bringing uh, an understanding of the difficulties that somebody is going through and being able to to talk them through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you cannot build a relationship of trust with a computer. But you can with a with a human being, and that's the sort of area that I think we should be focusing on. Focus on the humanity, mm. um, and uh, I think if we do that and use the technology to um, to deliver, you know, the other services, then um, you know we 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 do focus on what we do. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, Tim. Um, as we wrap up, mate, there's just four questions I know I always ask uh, my guests. One is, um, do you have a daily ritual or, or, or a, 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 a something that you do uh, on, a, on a common basis. Obviously, travelling is one of them because you and I have tried to connect and I know you, you were in Wagga, which was, you know, I'm, I'm married to a Wagga family, so you certainly know the market's performing well when, when prices have moved there. You know, my, my in-law's property has, hasn't moved in value in 10 years and suddenly it's worth a little bit more. So there, there you know the market's doing well and, and that's the case. But obviously, travel's one of your, your something that you're doing on a, on a regular basis. Anything else? Yeah, uh, well, what I do, your question was about what do I do as a ritual. I, I try and um, get a briefing every day on the contemporary issues. So mm. I, I gave you the example earlier that uh, there was a, there's a, a property that was sold for a million dollars over, um, uh, over reserve. So mm. that's the sort of thing I try and be across on a, uh, on a daily basis. Um, and the reason, the reason, obviously, I do that is those sorts of things may trigger a media uh, inquiry. So I want to be uh, want to be across that. So that's that's Top one of the things that I do um, each day. Good, like, like the president of the United States getting a, a, a intelligence briefing almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a, a good business decision during your career that you, that comes to mind. Um, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> so, Either as a, as a lawyer, accountant, or yeah. Um, look, I, I, when when I had the law practice, um, we started to to pull in uh, other services. You mightn't believe this, but we ended up with a bank under roof. Um, so the the um, what it was then, the New South Wales State Bank franchised out all of their offices, and that lasted for about I don't know two or three years before the Commonwealth Bank bought that out. But it was an interesting experience because you're able to assist people with with more of their um, of their needs. And again, I think that harps back to uh, to what I said earlier about um, about being able to solve people's problems. You solve the problems that they're aware of, but if you can start solving problems that they they didn't even know they had, gee, that's um that's really that's really good. Hmm. Good for you. Um, a not so good decision during your career. Yeah, that was, was labelled that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there is ever a, um, a, a bad decision unless you don't learn from it. Correct. Um, but one of the things that um, that I have learned in in here is don't try and be all things to all people. Mm. Um, and we've we have done a few things here that um, have been great learnings. Um, trying to provide a, um, a portal in competition with the likes of domain and real estate.com. We've, we've, um, we've tried that and that, um, that was a disaster, uh, frankly. Um, I mean, you know, it just, it was, it was never going to work. Um, and we will never do that again. I mean, you're not going to take on a, uh, what a 15 plus billion dollar company, um, with, uh, with a couple of resources in here. Um, and similarly with data, uh, those sorts of things. So, so I think um, what I've learned is to build solutions into a workflow. So work hard on, on being able to um, provide a, uh, a very seamless and, um, and uh, frictionless workflow. 
and then along that workflow, provide the agent with opportunities to engage with external providers. Mm. Um, and uh, so as you're, as you're going down that, um, that transaction pathway, if you can make available to the agent things that are, again, at that very point in the transaction relevant, um, then that is, uh, um, you know, that that is advantageous to everybody. And, and the classic example there, I think, is our um, landlord's product. We have a product called Realty Protect, and uh, at that at that point in time, where where you are getting a new landlord in there, or for that matter, a landlord that doesn't have it, I think um, I, I think that if you can get hold of uh, of that product, firstly you're doing something that is that is the right thing to do, managing the landlord's risk. Um, you've got to be able to do it very efficiently because uh, I know how busy property managers are and you've got to get paid for it. So if you tick those three boxes, um, I think there is, um, uh, there is great benefit in being able to go out and find those products, but you've got to make it, you've got to make it frictionless. Mm-hmm. And what do you say to the agents that are designing their own agency agreements or managing agency agreements and not using the REI ones? Is that, do you think that's a good idea? You don't have an issue with it or you prefer I, not to? I, I don't have an issue with it. I don't. Um, I mean, it's a decision. It's a decision for them, but I can, I can say that because of the prescriptive nature that mm. fair trading bring to it, yeah. um, you, you only need to have a comma missing. And I mean that literally. You only need to have a comma missing in one of the warnings mm. and your agency agreement um, is void. Mm. And uh, consequently, the, the, um, the vendor or, or landlord does not have to pay you. They mm. don't. Mm. Um, and again, that harps back to what I was saying earlier about we should be looking at um, outcomes, not processes. But mm. whilst you're looking at, at processes, um, I think that it is um, it's it's a it is a big undertaking to decide that you're going to have your own agency agreements. I've um, I have seen other people's agency agreements um, over the years, and uh, a lot of the ones that are floating around um, just aren't compliant. Mm. So um, if you if you decide that you're going down that path, you need to be prepared to be spending uh, a lot of money. Uh, on it, and you'll need uh, a lawyer that is prepared to have a uh, a running brief on it to uh, to stay ahead of any uh, legislative changes. Interesting. Um, the final question is: You get to ask me anything you like, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's uh, that is interesting, isn't it? So, where do you see the um, this current market going? Because I'm getting asked that all the time. Is it? Is it going to continue or do you think it's going to um, uh, cool off? Look, being in the industry 32 years, I've seen plenty of cycles and, and cycles are called cycles because they're manic. They, they, they go up and they go down. Um, I think this is a anomalous boom. What I mean by that, it's been triggered by one in a hundred year anomaly in COVID. Um, sprinkled on top of that um, record low interest rates um, and then sprinkled on top of that is is low stock levels so there's there, there's the, the trifecta and a perfect storm for this 20 to 30 percent growth in six months because that's what metro areas have experienced um, will it continue yes but it's untenable to continue at the same at the same pace um, and at the same frequency. So my feeling is that as soon as we start to see more stock, which we already are, then without any macroeconomic factor changing, automatically you're going to have less competition on each property and less registrations at each auction, which will then beget uh, a more sensible price on every property. Um, so if no other factor changes, you will have a higher supply level than what you have at the moment. Um, and then I think you've also got buyer fatigue, which is already creeping into the market. So we've literally got buyers putting their hands in the air and saying, you know what, 
I, I know that, that buying a home is important. I put a high degree of value on it based on working more from home, entertaining more from home in a post-COVID world. I'll be spending less money uh, travelling until 2024. I get all that. However, I cannot make sense of the current prices, so I'm just going to wait. Well, if it's cheaper or the same or higher with rates the way they are, it's not the end of the world. I'll wait till the end of the year. So I think what you're going to find is up until spring, we'll see the current, um, the current uh, environment continue. And then in spring, you'll see uh, um, uh, the heat come out of the market slightly, but, but it won't recalibrate back down to, you know, October pricing. Uh, I think it'll, it'll probably recalibrate an extra five to 10%, which, which we're still means we're up, up 10, 15% where we were October next year. Then the market's likely to hit a level that it's very comfortable with and plateau for a number of years. Um, but what, what a lot of people don't remember or, or, or don't um, um, may not be aware of is that we've had an interest rate environment, Tim, that's only been on the decline for a decade. So that means there's a lot of, um, mortgage borrowers who in 2024 are going to be in an increasing interest rate environment, which they've, they've never seen before. I, you and I have seen an, an increasing interest rate environment, but they haven't. So that's going to come as a rude shock. Um, so I think more stock will come on one because you've got investors cashing in of properties they've done extremely well on. And then you also got people that are, are, Plans have accelerated, whether it's a regional change, sea change, tree change, whatever it may be. Um, so that that's my view. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, uh, you talk about macro changes. Unless there is um, something that that is disturbing that, I think um, I think that will continue. We've got five hundred thousand people who have come back from overseas so far, expats. Mm. Um, they continue to come. Um, WA said they, they don't want to take their 1500 I understand. But, um, um, but you know, every time um, a group of people come back from overseas, they're either uh, taking back their property, and, and that means there's a tenant that's uh, out looking for another property, or, uh, or they're walking in saying, well, I need to buy one. Correct. So um, that's, Correct. that's the bit of all of this that I don't think is factored into it when people are saying, uh, you know, there's so much competition in the cities and there's so much competition out in the regional areas. I, I think that uh, that has been a little bit overlooked, those 500,000 people, and they're mm. continuing to come. They've got to live somewhere. And that will compensate for the lack of tourism dollars, Tim. That, that, that obvious is, is, is an obvious issue, you know, in, for, for many industries, um, but not so much for ours, but a lot of related industries. So I think that would, will, will compensate that. Um, we really appreciate your time, Tim. It's been no, a very, very insightful uh, discussion. I think a lot of agents listening to this uh, are going to be very grateful that the REI is standing beside them and linking arms. Those are the agents that are doing the right thing, which you talked about in the main they are. Um, and I think that they're going to be um, pleasantly surprised that the OFT uh, is, 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 is a organisation that seems to be a bit antiquated and let's all pray and hope that a property services commissioner is appointed stat. And if you could provide the legislation to me on email, I'll certainly share that with the listeners so they can uh, rattle the cage in, in their own um, geographical um, uh, districts. That'd be perfect. Thank you very much. I've uh, enjoyed our chat. It's been good. And I certainly will send that through and, where um, we're not asking a lot, just send it to your local member and say, please support this. Absolutely. Tim, you've been very, very generous with the time. You're, you're a true gentleman. Thank you for everything you do um, on behalf of, uh, of the industry. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll provide myself as a proxy uh, to, to, to thank you uh, on their behalf. So uh, we really appreciate your dedication and timeless commitment. Thanks, Adrian, and a great opportunity to get a uh, to get a very valuable message out through um, out through your channel. So Terrific, very grateful. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Bye now. Bye.